Well, good morning. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible, and we're walking through the book of Colossians. And what we're doing is we're going through the book of Colossians, and if you've got a wristband, my wristband says, look up. And that's from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and it says this, listen, set your mind and your heart on the things above. So wherever you're at in life, I'm at my job, I'm over here with my family, it doesn't matter where you're at in life, I want to always be looking up to Jesus and who he is, what we've, what he's done for me and transforming me on the inside, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, I've put on the new life, kindness, gentleness, patience, I've put all of those things on, and it doesn't matter where I'm at, I want to continue to look up to who he is and what he's done for us. And so last week we looked about the way that that influence would transform a family, a marriage relationship, husband and wife, how that faith on the inside would transform a family, parents and children, what that would look like. And what Paul is going to do, he's going to continue right along with this teaching and he's going to enter into another relationship, the relationship between us and our jobs, our professions, the work that you might do. Paul just goes into husbands and wives and families, and now he's going to go into the relationship that we have with our, our, our jobs, our positions, our vocations. So before we get there, I just want to, you might be looking for a job. Maybe you're out there and you're like looking for a job. What I want is I want to help you this morning. I really want to help you. So here's some advertisements for a couple of jobs. Number one, a manager um, at uh, the workplace. Management positions available. Contact, Tony, vacation, uniforms, meals, and a possible salary, all right? Would you really want to work there? Probably not. Probably not. Toys, are you, uh, toys, are you interested in toys? Toys, we are hiring. Low pay, bad hour, jerk boss, apply now. <laughs> Some of you are going, yeah, I worked at that place, I think, you know. <laughs> um, medical field, position in the medical field, here you go. Uh, surgeon wanted for a new health clinic, opening in the area, no experience needed, must have your own tools. Yeah, I'm not sure what kind of tools you would want there, so. And for those of you in the farming community, I thought this was really sweet. Wanted someone to grind or chew hay for a horse with bad teeth. Contact James Bud Williams. Okay, and the last one, Wendy's. Now hiring full-time losers. So hopefully, you know, when they put these out, they were kind of done, uh, put out with tongue-in-cheek kind of with the idea of, let's have a little bit of fun here with some of these things. Um, But the reality is, most of us work, most of us have some kind of position, most of us have some kind of job that we go to every day. And we do it for many, 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 many years. And what Paul does is, Paul's going to give us some principles. He's he's not going to say, listen, here's a manual for how you need to conduct yourself at your job. It's not going to be that way. What he's going to do is he's going to pull out some principles of how we should view our work and how we should view what we do, the responsibilities that we have as a person who's looking up to who Jesus is and what do you have for our lives. So let me read our text this morning. Let me just read the text and then we'll take some time to get into it. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Notice it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Just before I pray, I want to remind you of 
All of those phrases, reverence for the Lord, serving for the Lord, you have a master in heaven, sincerity of heart, that's talking about the nature of our job. You would almost think, well, he's talking about a worship service. He's talking about the way that we would come into a worship service and the way that we'd respond to it. You know, he's, he's talking about the way that we should view our job, our positions. And what he wants to do is he wants to get to the heart of why we do what we do and the importance of who you are, what you do, and who we represent. Father, I thank you for the great privilege we have of being able to gather this morning. Father, I pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts to see that you, you give us great value because of who you are and what you've done for us. And Father, you also call us and enable us and empower us to work. And Father, we ask that you would guide and direct us. Father, we ask that you'd speak to us this morning. Help us to see the value of our work, what we provide, Lord, as we look to serve and honor you for who you are and what you've done for us. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the privilege being able to gather this morning. Thank you for your word. God, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. And I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So immediately when you, when you read those texts, there's a word in there that just it kind of shocks us and it bothers us. The bottom line is the word slaves really bothers us. What Paul is describing is the relationship between slaves and masters. He doesn't even mention the, the word employee or employers. And these slaves that he's talking about were part of a new community of faith. Something, somehow, some way, they had come to embrace Jesus Christ. And they're sitting in a house church in the city of Colossae. And they have this teaching. And maybe you have slaves over here. And maybe you have masters over there. And maybe something is going on in the midst of the context of their lives. And what Paul has done is he's received information. He's saying, listen, there's, there's a little bit of an uprising going on. Something's going on here. And what we want to do is we want to direct our attention to what's going on here so we can help people to know and understand what's going on. And what's interesting is this. Paul doesn't seek to abolish or to dismantle or get rid of the, of the institution of slavery. In some ways, it kind of bothers us a little, doesn't it? I mean, this is wrong. Shouldn't Paul be directly speaking to this issue? Shouldn't he be doing something about this issue of slavery? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, Paul says, listen, if you're a slave, then you should seek to get rid of, you should seek to be free. But what's, what bothers us a little bit here is it's, he's not directly attacking this institution of, of slavery. And what's really interesting is there's a guy by the name of Onesimus who's mentioned in chapter 4, verse 9. And you know who Onesimus is? He's a runaway slave. And what Paul's going to do is Paul's going to write a letter to Philemon, the, the, the master about embracing and bringing Onesimus back. And he's not going to deal directly with this idea of you need to let him go. You need to just let him go. And I think one of the things that we need to remember, it's really, really important for us, is this. That slavery in the Greco-Roman culture, first uh, New Testament slavery, was a very, very different type of slavery. When we think of the new world slavery, slavery in the 17th, 18th, 19th century, when we think of that type of slavery, it was very, very evil. It was race-based, African slavery. It was horrible in what they did. But there's a difference between the New Testament, Greco-Roman slavery, and New Testament, or uh, New Testament slavery, and this new world slavery. How do we know that? Go back and look at a little bit of the history. And, and there's a guy by the name of uh, Murray Harris, and he wrote a book. And in this book, he, he drew out some principles of what first century Greco-Roman uh, slavery looked at. And there, here are the four principles that he pulled out about this type of New Testament slavery. Number one, slaves were not distinguished from anyone else by race, 
speech, or clothing. In other words, they look like everyone else in society. They weren't separated or segregated out. Number two, they, they, they were educated many times more than their masters. And they even had high-level positions in society. It's just the matter of, of working or doing something for someone else. Many of them were highly, highly educated in what they do. Number three, from a financial standpoint, slaves made just as much as the free laborers and other people around them. They were sometimes usually poor, and what they would do is they would give themselves to work in a position where they could hopefully get out eventually. That's what they would do. Number four, very few people were slaves for life. In other words, they knew that if I work hard enough and I earn enough money, I can get out. I can free myself. I can get out of that. And most of them, they knew that they were going to be free by the time they were 30 years old. So that's that's that New Testament, Greco-Roman type of slavery. Very, very different. And I said, well, you know, what does the Bible say about slavery? It's just, again, it's a bad word. And, and I began to look through, and there's some principles that I want to pull out from, from slavery from a biblical perspective. Just a couple of things. In uh, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35, it says this. Many times if a person was poor and they had no way of earning money, they could go and work. They would become a slave of another person. And what they would do is they would work in order to free themselves from the oppression of not having any money. They would voluntarily give themselves. Leviticus chapter 25. Many times slavery was voluntary. They would voluntarily give themselves to another person. And in many cases, the option was, listen, after a period of seven years, if you're working with someone, if they've treated you well and you embrace them, what you can do is you can stay with them. You can put a a mark in your ear and you can stay with them and you can stay with them for life because they can take care of you. Or what you could do after a period on the seventh year, you could be free to go. Free to go. There were slaves who were put in that position. Maybe they were criminal. Maybe something happened. Maybe there was a debt that they owed. And they were forced to say, listen, what you need to do is you need to go and work for this person. Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. So that you can eventually get out of debt and free yourself and go on to do something else. Slaves were being treated with respect and dignity. And they were allowed the freedom, again, to leave in the seventh year. And they could be part of a religious community. In other words, for the Jewish people, they were to treat their slaves with the utmost of respect. With regard to gaining the freedom, they were required to be released in the seventh year so that they could go free. And when they were freed, they were supposed to be lavish with all kinds of goods and supplies and things that they would have so that they would not become a burden on society once more. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12. And freedom was always, always an option in the future because they knew that they would one day be released. So the institution of slavery in the Greco-Roman world, and in the Bible. It was very different than New World slavery. 17th, 18th, 19th century, slavery was race-based. and The default mode was slavery for life, and that's horrible. They were simply abused and captured and taken against their will so that they could provide work for other people so that other people could make money. The African slave trade started through the kidnapping, which the Bible forbids kidnapping of people. It doesn't condone that kind of behavior at all. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Deuteronomy 24. Therefore, while the early Christians, like Paul, discouraged first century slavery, what they didn't choose to do is to overhaul the system. However, 
When New World slavery came in, 17th, 18th, 19th century, guess what Christians began to do? They began to speak against it. They realized the atrocities. They realized how wrong it was. So William Wilberforce and uh, people like the Quakers and the Methodists and even the Pope condemned that type of slavery and spoke out against us and raised their voices and said, listen, we need to work for the abolition. Listen, it wasn't perfect. I realized that. And there was a lot of Christians who were justifying what they were doing in the name of religion. But there were also a lot of different people who were trying very hard to overhaul the system. I say that to remind us that, yes, there was a difference. Greco-Roman slavery, the Bible and the Jewish institution of slavery in this new world. So it's very, very different. So some 2,000 years ago, when Paul is addressing this issue in the church, what he's doing, he's looking at the possibility of masters and slaves being in the same place together. And rather than changing the institution, overriding the system, what he's saying is, what I want to do is, I want to speak to principles. I want to speak to biblical principles that we can apply to our lives, that we can change people, change life, change families, change jobs, because we're changing people on the inside. One person said this, the heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. And what Paul chooses to do, I believe what Paul chooses to do here is to take some principles and apply it to the situation of slavery. And so as we read that and Paul says, listen, I'm going to give you some principles. As you and I looked at the words that he used, the terminology, what I believe that we can do, what what we can do is pull out what are the principles here? What are the principles that we can look at some 2,000 years later and apply it to the circumstance? Listen, if, if, if Paul can speak to those issues of slavery some 2,000 years ago, I think we can apply that same situation for the position that we have, the jobs that we have, and the freedom that we have. And we live in a great country, don't we? Freedom to go get a job, to work, to work hard. And what Paul says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to be the best worker that you can. I want you to understand what you provide and who we are because your reputation matters as a Christ follower. And you spend... By the way, Exodus talks about, and God rested on the seventh day. Six days you shall work. How many days do most of us work? Four, five days? They're working six days back then. We have the privilege of being able to work in a wonderful, wonderful way. So what I want to do is this. I want to just walk through this. I want to walk through this. Your job matters. God at the job. Your job matters. Two things I want to leave you. Number one, what you provide is important. Number two, who you are. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Number one, your job matters. Why? Because of what you provide. Look at verse 23. It says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Slaves, working. What Paul is talking about, you do something. We all do something. Most of us do something. Work is not, yes, it's a four-letter word, but it's not a bad word. There's something good about working. There's something good about working at your hand. Going and providing and doing something. When you do something, when you work, you realize you're providing something, a good, a service for someone else. That's a beautiful thing. The book of Proverbs speaks about jobs. Proverbs chapter 12 says this. From the fruit of the lips, a man is filled with good things. As surely as the work of his hands rewards him. Well, I get a paycheck. But you know what? You, you, you have the benefit of other things of providing a good or a service by what you do. And that's a great thing. I don't care what it is. It's a good thing. As long as it's not illegal. Proverbs 14 verse 23 says this, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Hard work. Man, when you work hard, something's happening there. You may not see it. You may 
You, you may never see it, but the Bible says all of your hard work profits something. Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? A man or a woman skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. You do your job, and you do it well, guess what? People are going to see. They're going to know what's going on. And they're going to see your dedication. And then you're going to see your hard work. And they're going to see your skill and your experience. They're going to see all of those things. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to want to lift you up. They're going to put you in a place. By the way, isn't that what happened to Joseph? Didn't Joseph suffer this kind of injustice in his life? And over and over it says the Lord was with him. And what did he do? He continued to be faithful in his calling to what God had called him to do, even in the midst of prison. And God says God had elevated him. He lifted him up. God exalts the lowly and the downtrodden. Paul, writing to the people at Ephesians, said this. Think of your work this way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, it says this. He must... He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work do, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Listen, he's saying don't, don't steal anymore. Don't try and get things that aren't yours, but work using your own hands. Why? Because you have the potential to provide something useful for who? For those in need. There is a principle that we work so that we can help other people in life and to give to them. In the midst of this pandemic, as people are, are struggling, those of you that have been blessed have the great privilege of being able to give of your time and your talent, your resources to help other people to get through this ugly mess. How many jobs, how many businesses folded as a result of what's happened over the last year? And because we love Jesus and because we experience the blessing, you and I have the privilege of being able to do that. It's not a curse to work. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 says this. What is your ambition in life? Here's an ambition. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands. Remember, that was kind of the agricultural society, those things that they would do. Just as we told you, so that what? Your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. What does your job do? Unchristians, non-believers are looking at you. They're looking at your life and they're evaluating you. And they're. And when you do a good job and you work hard, what is it saying? You are earning their respect and you are not being dependent upon other people. There's a good reason for you and I to work so that we can be people of good reputation and be self-sufficient in what we have. So what do we do? We work. Some of you teachers, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a laborer, maybe you're a management, maybe you're a mom. How many hours does a mom work? Moms work hard, don't they? How much do they get paid? Hmm. Yeah, don't they work really hard? All of us have this great privilege of work. And what we should do is when we come to the Bible, we should ask the question, well, what should our work look like? Do you realize that work is not a product of the fall? That pre-fall, God had told uh, Adam, listen, what I want you to do is this. I've created all of this wonderful stuff. 
I want you to be a laborer in the field. I'm going to give you and I'm going to entrust you with the responsibility. Here's the responsibility. Go take care of it. That's all pre-fall. Work is not a bad thing. And by the way, when you look at some of the parables in the New Testament, it talks about laboring in heaven. In other words, we have this wonderful picture of us working and serving together in the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. And we have this picture of being given responsibility and maybe taking care of people and stuff. The book of Revelation talks about this wonderful city coming down. And, and doesn't a city conjure up things like things to do and be responsible for? In the new heaven and the new earth, we're probably going to have responsibilities given to us as we minister and serve not only our King and Lord Jesus Christ, but other people. And by the way, do you realize that God is working now? God's always at work. He's sustaining the universe. We saw that in Colossians chapter 1, Jesus sustaining everything, holding all things by the power of his name. Jesus is praying for us so that we can labor and work and continue to serve him. The Bible talks about that God working for us and helping us as we go in, in the midst of this life journey. That Psalm 120 talks about the Lord never sleeps and he never slumbers. Why? Because he's watching over us and he can take care of us. Listen, you provide something. And you provide something good. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how menial you think it is, how redundant you think it is. You provide a good and you provide a service. Just by way of illustration, there's a man by the name of Craig Barnes. He was a pastor at a a church in um, the Washington, D.C. area. And he was asked to conduct a funeral for a man who had worked on the original Boeing 747. And he worked at it for a lot of years. And he was given the privilege to be able to speak um, at this man's uh, uh, funeral. And um, after the, the service, the wife came up to the pastor and said this about his work and his labor in the 747. She says, the truth is he worked on one little switch box smaller than the loaf of bread. That's all he worked on for 15 years. But when that 747 lifted off the ground for the first time, it was the happiest day of his life. He worked on one small switch box for more than a decade Yet the huge plank couldn't have lifted off without this man's contribution. And so here's the point. Often we see our work as smart as a little cog over here and a part of something smaller. And what God says, listen, when you look at who you are, what you've done, in light of the kingdom resources, in light of the kingdom of God, in light of people watching you, in light of people taking a look and inventory of your life, what you are providing is something that's wonderful and good. And when you do it, and you do it for the glory and the honor of Jesus, that is a good thing. That is a wonderful thing. I walked into a, a dollar store. I was getting ready to walk into a dollar store on Friday. And as I'm getting ready to walk up, the man's coming out and he opens the door and he says, Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Glad that you're here. Big old smile on his face. I go to check out and we start talking. And man, this guy was just chatting. I said, Hey, Chris, how long you, I said, how long you work here? He said, oh, since December. I said, man, you're doing a good job. He said, yeah, you know what? They want to make me a manager. That guy had an impact on my life. He had an impact. He was showing me the value of what he did. The value of, of taking care of people and bestowing that this guy's doing a great job for a company. You and I, when we work, we provide something, a good or a service for other people. How is God glorified in what we say and do? Listen, my wife works for a physical therapy office. And I know what my wife does, and I know how hard she works like many of you, and she keeps that schedule full. 
and she keeps those physical therapy people full. And what they provide is this. She may be working in an office, but what she's doing, she's connecting this hurting person with this healing person over there, and she's getting them together to provide a good service that will hopefully help this person get better. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You and I have this great privilege of being able to work and provide for other people. So what do we do? We work. We do all kinds of things. It's a good thing. God created. Second thing is this. Why do you work? I'm going to tell you why we work. So I was at a baseball game yesterday. I was watching my, my grandson play baseball. And I'm, watching, and I'm watching the coaches. And I'm watching how they treat the kids. And I'm watching this coach over here begin to yell at his, one of his players. And I just thought to myself, wow. I, I sure wouldn't want my, my son or my grandson doing that. Just the way that he was approaching it. They're nine-year-old kids. They're kids. They don't get it all the time, you know? And I just watched him. And, and the reason I say this is because people are watching us. And we represent something, someone bigger than you and I. And, and what he wants to do, what Paul wants to do is, listen, your work matters because of who you are. Because of who you are as a Christ follower. Remember, you've been changed on the inside, transformed on the inside. Now what you do matters. Look at verse 23 and 24. Yes, we are employees. Maybe we're a student. Maybe we're a mom. Maybe we're this. Maybe we're that. But we still have this opportunity to work. Notice it says, verse 23 says, you are what? You're working for the Lord. Verse 24 says this, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You ever thought about your job? As an opportunity to serve the Lord. You're not serving your employee, your employee, boy, whatever. You are serving the Lord. The Bible reminds us this. When you and I embraced Jesus and we were transformed on the inside, we became bond servants or servants of who? Jesus Christ. Ultimately, I'm a servant of Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Epaphras. Notice how he's described. It says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, he's one of you guys in the church. He's just like everyone else. He's described as what? A servant of Christ Jesus. He sends you his greetings. Listen, I'm just like you. You have your responsibility. I have my responsibility. We have this great responsibility that God has entrusted to us. Now what do we have the privilege of doing? We have the privilege of what? Serving Jesus when I go to work. Four characteristics. And I need to run four characteristics of what it looks like here. Let me just walk through them real quickly. Number one, four characteristics. Who are you? Number one, you are, a, you are a person. You are a Christian. You are a believer who recognizes the authority structure. You recognize the God-given authority structure. Look at verse 22 again. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in what? In everything. And then what Paul is saying, listen, here's the expanse. You're a slave. Here's the expanse of what we are supposed to do. And he simply says, in everything. You ever get asked to do something you don't want to do? In everything. Don't violate God's commands. Don't violate God's word. Don't lie for the body. Don't do those things. But what we can do is recognize that we have been given the responsibility to do what we're asked to do, simply. I remember there was a guy by the name of um, Bob. And I knew him when I was a youth minister in Southern California. And he owned a business. He owned a, a really good business. And he made something, a statement to me one time that I thought was really startling. He says, you know what, Clint? You know who the hardest people to work with? Christians. They were the hardest people to work with because they're always demanding stuff. And they never do what you ask them to do. I thought, how, how sad is that? And what you and I are are people that we recognize the God-given authority structure that's been given to us. 
Paul wrote to his wrong, young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And notice what he wrote. He says this, Timothy, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. So that, why? That the name of God and the teaching may not be slandered. In other words, you and I have a reputation. Don't slander the name of God and don't slander the doctrine of God. Don't slander the teaching. There's a correlation between who you are, who you represent, and the way that we should work. And what we need to do is we need to make sure we give that respect to other people. We need to make sure that we do that. Why do you work? Well, I want money. A lot of people are motivated with money. I, 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 like, I like the chase. I like the responsibility. I like to manage people. Not a bad idea. You know, I want to make an impact in life. I, I really want to make an impact in life. I want, I want to do this. Man, I don't know why I work. I guess I just need to pay the bills. There was a, a, a man by the name of uh, Henry David Thoreau. We all know him because we learned about him in school. At least some of us did. He said this, it's not enough to be industrious, so are ants, right? It's not enough to be industrious, so are ants. And what he says, listen, what we do and how we work is it's, it's really, really, it's important. We ought to think about it. So there's a, a British scientist, um, and he wrote an article for the New Scientist uh, about psychology and the future of work. And one of the articles that he wrote was called this. It was called, I Work, Therefore I Am. And his name is Brent Rosso. And he has a PhD, and he penned six attributes to help people find meaning in their work. Six attributes. Let me just read them through. I don't know why you work or what you do, but this is what he wrote. This is from a business perspective. Maybe you can resonate with one of these. Number one, authenticity. Going to work makes you feel like you're assessing your true self. Maybe that you have a following or a calling or you can be yourself. By the way, does that, does that vocation associate with calling? Isn't a vocation you're kind of calling in life? Number two, self-worth. Your job makes you feel valuable. You're able to see milestones of achievement, no matter how small. You feel good about that. Number three, purpose. You see your work as moving closer to a, a strongly held goal that you have. The downside is that maybe you're likely to sacrifice more personal time. There's a goal out here, and I want to work for that. I want to buy the house. I want to buy the car. And we kind of go off and we work. Number four, belonging. Man, it's not what you do. It's who you do it with. There's that association of camaraderie where we're all working toward a common goal together. Transcendence, your job is about sacrifice for a greater cause. Your meaning comes from following this or perhaps something truly inspirational. I may have missed words. Self-worth, your job makes you feel valuable. There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things that people do when it comes to work. You know what Paul says? Paul says one of the reasons that we work is because of what we've been required to do and who we represent. Let me just walk through four characteristics. Number one, I talked about the, the, the idea of the authority structure. We recognize the authority structure. Number two is this. Number two, we are people of integrity. Look at verse 22. We are people of integrity. Verse 22 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Let's be honest. When the boss is not there, don't we all... Check out a little bit. I mean, come on. We all do. You know, maybe we don't show up as early as we normally do when the boss isn't there. Or, or maybe we do a little bit more planning of the vacation when the boss is not here and he's not looking over our shoulder. We all recognize that. But the Bible says, listen, don't make that a habit of your life. Don't do that. 
He says, we need to be people of integrity. We need to be people who demonstrate what? It says sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Sincerity means this, that I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be consistent for my calling and what God has called me to do. I'm going to do the work that I've been called to do. And we need to do that with the utmost care and concern in our job. Are you a person of integrity at your work? Can people count on you for who you are and what you've done? What you do and your integrity and your sincerity is absolutely important to the cause of Christ. This was drilled home for me a couple of years ago. Many, many years ago, I was working as a youth pastor. And I was responsible for the junior high. And every year, we had an independent auditor come into our church. And what they would do is they would go through our files. They would pick through our files, and they would audit our ministries. So one year, this gal came in, and she audited a file for a camp, Hume Lake. And she audited the file, and then she came to me, and she says, Clint, I want you to know something. I want to ask you a question. We collected X amount of money over here, and we were supposed to collect this amount of money, and we're off $20. I was mortified. I was absolutely mortified. Why? Because I knew that I had not stolen that money. I didn't take any money. But what I didn't want to do, I didn't want her thinking I did. I didn't want what I had done and the mistake that I made to color her thinking of me and my, my respect and my integrity for doing my job. I didn't want this question in the back of her mind always being, is he really doing what he should be doing? See, who you are is you and I are people of integrity. And what we need to be doing, we need to be handling whatever it is in a way that's right and sincere and reverence for the Lord. I'll tell you what, I never forgot. By the way, I know what her name is. Her name is Sue. I've never forgotten her name. And that that incident radically affected the way that I deal with money here. Because I didn't want my reputation to be questioned. We need to be people of integrity. We need to be people of integrity. Sincerity. So who are we? We understand the authority structure. We work with integrity. Number three, we work hard. Verse 23 says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Do you give your employer non-offstays work? Do you work for them? Do you work hard for them? Or do we, in our mind, realize, well, maybe I'm not getting over this, and maybe this isn't fair. And this. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of skirt over here and maybe not work as hard. I'm going to do something differently. What, what Paul is saying, listen, are you giving yourself an honest day work for what you should be providing for your employer? Verse 24 says this. It's the Lord Christ that you're serving. Think about it this way. When you go to work this week or next week or whatever you go to work, don't think of yourself as serving that company or that person. Think of yourself as serving the Lord. Serving the Lord for who he is and what he's done. My reputation is at time. Martin Luther King, um, in, in 1967, six months before he passed away, he was speaking to some junior high students. And this is what he said to these junior high students. Martin Luther King, Jr. He says, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. We need to be people who work hard because of what God has entrusted to us. Last thing is this. We are people who have an eternal perspective. We understand the authority structure. 
We want to be people of integrity. We want to work hard, but we also have an eternal perspective. Notice what he says here in verse 24. Since you, you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. In the book of Galatians, there's a spiritual principle. The spiritual principle is just you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Let me ask you, what are you, what are you sowing right now with regard to your personal life? What are you sowing right now? What, what seeds are you sowing? Because we're going to reap those with one day. That's a spiritual principle in life. Maybe you're sitting there, you're going, man, I'm having a really tough time. I don't know what to do with my job. I'm getting beat up. They don't like me. I've been mistreated. Man, I was passed over for the job that I should have got. I should have got a raise. didn't get the raise. You know, all of these things have happened. I have been treated unfairly, and I don't know. Maybe you've been cheated out of a place in life. Let me remind you of something. God sees. God sees what's going on. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 31, Jacob, remember, married Rachel and Leah, and, and Jacob's had it. He's, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Laban has just treated me horribly. I've got these two wives. He's tricked me, and I'm going to pack up my stuff. Kids, grab it. We're getting out of here. And Genesis chapter 31, notice what Jacob and how he responds to Laban. He says this, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had not been with me, you would have surely sent me away empty-handed. Listen, God protected me because of what you had done. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. Perhaps you're asking yourself, what do you get for breaking your neck for the company? Verse 24 says that you're receiving an inheritance from the Lord. God sees, God knows. Maybe this, maybe not in this life, but maybe someplace else you're going to receive something back. You're going to receive a benefit for what you've done. God is not impartial. By the way, notice what it says. God is not impartial, verse 25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for its wrong, and there is no favoritism. God sees what you're doing. Don't, hey, don't skirt the books. Don't be cute. It may take a while. Someone will find out. We need to be people of integrity. We need to be people of sincerity. We need to be doing these things. Because of who we are on the inside, our lives are transformed. Our relationships are radically different. My family relationship is here. My marriage relationship is different. And, and my relationship at work is different. I don't know what it is that you do. You provide something good. And you represent you represent Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And let's do that and let's do that well. Let's do that and let's do that well. And maybe if life is difficult and life is challenging for you right now, maybe you just need to take a minute to stop and say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to trust you for what you're doing in my life. Father, I thank you for the gift of work. And I thank you for all that work hard and labor. And Lord, I realize as I look out there, that some of the people in this room are even retired, and yet they are working and laboring hard to provide, using their gifts, their talents, and abilities in a wonderful way. And we thank you for that. Father, if someone is struggling here this morning, maybe the job situation is a little bit difficult. Maybe they've been treated unfairly. Maybe they've been blackballed because of their faith. God, I ask that they would set their minds and their hearts on the things above. I ask that you would speak to them, you would encourage them, and that you would remind them that it is Jesus whom we are serving today. And Father, I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.